Um, let's open up in prayer before I get into the message. God, right now, I just pray that you help me with my head cold, and <laughs> pray that I can communicate well, and I pray that your words will be coming out of my mouth and not my, not my words, and I just pray that your word will, will ring true, and God, I pray that uh, as we dig in and as we look at culture, uh, we, can, we can, as believers, we can pick out what's true and what's not true. So, God, I pray that you will just mature us in your word today. We love you, God. Amen. All right, so we're starting a new series today. Uh, we're starting the Gospel According to Disney. Now, this could, this could go really well, or like this could be the end of my pastoring career. Uh, so, you know, it's like, okay, we do Easter egg hunts on Easter. That's like a pagan holiday thing. And then we do Halloween celebrations. So why not do a series on Disneyland? Why not, you know? But here's the thing. Um, it's important for us to... See culture through the lens of the gospel. And it is my personal conviction, and I, I, I bet you money I could probably write a dissertation on this or could probably flesh this out, but it is my conviction that the gospel message of Jesus Christ is embedded into our DNA, at least into our spiritual DNA. And why do I, what does that mean? I think that if, if, if culture is left to itself, if arts are left to itself, that the gospel of Jesus is gonna come out of, of, out of who we are. It's just unavoidable. It's a part of our it's part of our divine nature. I believe that we are made in the image of God. Imago Dei. And so since that we are made in God's image, that we are, we are transforming more into the likeness of God, the gospel message will come up. And it will even come up in non-believers. If you just take a look at Hollywood... And you look at what the major themes in Hollywood, Hollywood will actually prove the existence of Jesus Christ if you watch all the major themes. Uh, it, literature. Literature is full of Christ types. It's full. If you, if you just pay attention, you can see Jesus in, in secular literature. So it's in there. It's in Hollywood. It's in literature. It's in the arts. And believe it or not, it's in, it's in Disney. And so here's, this is what I want to do, the, the whole series. I want us to learn that all truth comes from God. Now, I want to be able to, to take a look at Disney. Now, part of why I'm doing Disney is because I abused the pulpa a while back, and I made fun of Disneyland, and I paid a heavy price for that. I mean, I got hate mail. I got hate mail from family members. And, uh, so... Um, it is a Disneyland, Disney is a powerful force. I didn't realize how powerful it was. I mean, people got tattoos with Disneyland on them. It's a craziness when I started getting into it and how embedded it is into our culture. And what we, what we know about Disneyland, Disney, the whole concept of Disney, is that um, children learn more morals from watching Disney movies than they do any other place, including going to church. Now, here's my, here, oh, that's, that's bad. Not necessarily. Because the Bible tells us that all truth is God's truth. And morals that come from Disney, we can use those. We can steal those. We can say, okay, Sophia, we just watched Milan. What's the moral of this story? And she's going to be able to identify it. She's going to be able to latch on to that truth. So this is what I want to do with the whole Disney series. Every classic Disney movie has, has, it covers three major things. It covers good versus evil. That's a biblical theme, right? 
It covers a moral principle of some sort. Uh, Disneyland is the modern Aesop's fables. It's going to tell you a moral story of some sort and how to be a good person, how to be, you know, kind and nice. And so these are good things, right? You know, it's going to say, okay, you need to be nice to friends and, and you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't smoke hookah with Jafar. And so it's going to teach us, you're going to teach your kids good moral lessons, but also one of the, the, the key things about why Disney is so successful is because it always, there's, there's a spiritual lesson in there too. There's a spiritual, there's a spiritual story. Okay what's, the, okay, what's the difference between going to Disneyland and going to Magic Mountain? You, you, go, to, you go to Magic Mountain for the thrill rides, but you go to Disneyland for the magic, Right? It is, it's the magic kingdom. There's something about it. It's just a genius equa. And it's just, you feel, you feel the specialness about the kingdom of, of Disney. Now, part of, the, part of my material that I got for this series is, is based off of this book, The Gospel According to Disney by Mark Pinsky. He also wrote The Gospel According to the Simpsons. And it's, it's an amazing thing. <laughs> uh, and, um, I recommend the book. If you guys want to get it, there's a link on the website that you can go to, or you can just look it up on Amazon. Uh, it's, it's a great book. Uh, I'll warn you, though, it's not, a, it's, like, it's not a fun reading book. This is a sociology book. So it's going to go over the sociology and, and, the, and the methodology of why Disney is so embedded in a part of our culture. But uh, a couple of things I want to read to you that he says. And by the way, I agree with some stuff that he says, and I disagree with some stuff. And we'll get into that when we get into the message. Okay, the, Dis, uh, the Disney empire, by its founding, founder's design, is a kingdom of magic, almost totally without reference to any kind of heaven. It advertises Disneyland as the happiest place on earth, not the holiest place. There are no churches on Main Street or at Walt Disney World. There are no chapels on Disney Cruises. And he goes on to say that the, the, the theme parks have become uh, the new spiritual meccas of our culture. So we will actually, we don't realize it, but we'll go on a spiritual pilgrimage to Disneyland. And it, it, it actually feel, it fills a void that's, that's, in, our, that's in, our, um, in our nature in a sense. Because we used to go, you know, we used to go to a pilgrimage to the temple. But now we just go to the pilgrimage to, to Disneyland. Now, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to say this is what, this is what the reality is. And, and there's truth in, in what's going on. Okay. Uh, this is something that Walt says. Walt says, all we are trying to do is to give the public good entertainment. And that is what they want. So here's, that's part of the key to the success of Disneyland is that Walt understands what people want. They want to be entertained. People want entertainment, and I'm going to give it to them. But then he actually pushes it a little bit further, and I think that this is amazing, and this is actually to his credit as a, as a person and as a human being. Uh, he says, the important thing is to teach a child that good can always triumph over evil. And what is, and, and what is what our pictures attempt to do? So he basically, he's got two purposes. He wants to entertain Americans, and he actually wants to entertain people worldwide. But he also wants to tell kids they can overcome the temptations of evil. So interesting book. I would encourage it. Now, today, we're going to be talking about Pinocchio, which was his second major film. 
First one was Snow White, 1938. Uh, Pinocchio came out in 1940, and it was a semi-success. Uh, when it opened up in the box office, it wasn't a huge success because America just entered into World War II. Isn't that that kind of puts it into perspective, right? Kind of dates it. And so the attendance for the movie when it opened up wasn't too great because this is what they think. They think that Americans weren't too excited about going to a movie uh, that was set in Europe and whose main character was a German-Italian guy wearing lederhosen. So it just... it. it So there was a bit of a miss in the marketing. But here's the beautiful thing about Pinocchio. It's probably one of the best films ever made. And it's a masterpiece. The cinematography in Pinocchio was revolutionary. It did things that cameras could not do. And it did things that has never been done in film before. Uh, Walt would bring in... The, the camera, well, they're not camera, but they drew everything, right? Okay, you know that. There's no such thing as cartoons. But uh, they, he would bring in the camera. He'd come over the mountain and into the village and into the house. First time it's ever been done. He would, uh, he would do a shot where he, the, uh, uh, Honest John, who was not honest, he was a liar. We'll get into that. But Honest John was, this, was, the, was the fox and his, his Nimrod sidekick, that cat. And they were, when they were trying to tempt Pinocchio, uh, they were walking down, that, down the alley. And then Walt would take the camera up above and then do a bird's eye view. Absolutely beautiful. The, the thing's a work of art. And if you look at the detail, the attention to detail in Pinocchio is absolutely amazing. And that is why it is one of the, the best Disney movies of all time. In my opinion, probably the best. Now, um, with that said, so that, that is how important it is as a piece of art. But as a piece of literature, and as a piece, okay, here we go, you ready? As a piece of spiritual literature, it is huge. One of the reasons why we wanted to do a gospel according to Disney is because we've come off a series of really hard-hitting, heavy stuff. I mean, we, we went over our values and over our doctrine and over what we believe. We did the theology of the Holy Spirit for I don't know how long. So we have been bombarding you with, with some really heavy, deep stuff. So, like, now it's time to have some fun. Let's do Disney. The, the story of Pinocchio is probably one of the most complex, deepest messages I've ever been able to prepare because it deals with the very fundamental fact of free will. It, it deals with the creator himself. And so, yeah, it's fun. But you, you, there's going to be points in this message where you're going to have to put your thinking cap on. Because it is, theologically, it's, it's, it's dense. It's very dense. Okay, so if you want to get your bulletins out, I have a few uh, fill-ins for you guys. Tell you what, oh no. All right, your first one on there. Uh, transformation, no strings attached. Uh, one of the, the first point on this, and the first major idea that we get communicated to uh, from, from Pinocchio is that our Heavenly Father, God Himself, desires us. We are the desire of a heavenly father. He, he's actually more active in finding you. 
He's more, he's more bent on seeking out where you're at and what is going on in your life than you are about finding out spiritual truths about him or about yourself or about my purpose in life and, you know, what am I to do with the rest of my life? He, you know, he is actually more engaged in your life than you are in your life. If we could show the first clip and we'll get an idea of, uh, of what I'm talking about here. so much happiness to others. You deserve to have your wish come true. Little puppet made of pine, wake. The gift of life is thine. given you life. Why? Because tonight, Geppetto wished for a real boy. Am I a real boy? No, Pinocchio. To make Geppetto's wish come true will be entirely up to you. Up to me? Prove yourself brave, truthful, and unselfish, and someday you will be a real boy. A real boy! All right. Now, the scene before that is the classic scene where Geppetto kneels down in his bed, and you think he's going to pray, but he doesn't pray. He wishes upon a star. Uh, so I have, I'm going to have some things to say about that, but, you know, you get the idea. So he, cho- he chooses to, to, to wish upon a star, but his desire is for a boy. And he's, he's good. He's been a good man. He's, he's brought joy to people. And so the fairy, the blue fairy, animates this wooden puppet. Brings him to life, sort of, like halfway. So he's able to talk and move and, you know, think, uh, but he's still, he's still made of wood. So he's not quite there. And what does is, what is, uh, she say? She says, look, in order for you to fulfill the desire of your father, the desire of the father is for you to become a real boy. In order for you to fulfill that desire, it's completely up to you. You have to, you have to be truthful, you have to be brave, and you have to prove yourself unselfish. It's completely up to you. And then she goes into, uh, okay, you have to be able to choose what was right and what is wrong. He says, how do I do that? And this is where we get the introduction of Jiminy the Cricket, Pinocchio's very own personal conscience. Now here's the interesting thing about Jiminy Cricket. Uh, what are his initials? J.C. Some people think that that's not a coincidence. 
And back in the 40s and 50s when you wanted to curse and it wasn't politically correct to curse, now we say whatever we want to say, right? And we come up with incredible combinations of swear words. But back in the 40s and 50s, there's a little bit more restraint. So they wouldn't say JC. They would say, oh, Jiminy Cricket, you know? And I was like, you got, does anybody remember that? Okay, a few of you do. Okay, oh, Jiminy Cricket. So next time you want to swear, say, oh, Jiminy Cricket. Uh, but see, they're, they're, that's, so he gets this conscience. Now, here's the thing about, okay, I'm, I'm going to pose a question. I'm not saying it's true. I, I, I just, I don't have a whole lot of time to flesh this out. But the conscience, God's, is it, is it God's voice? Everybody possesses a conscience, right? You ought to know what is right and what is wrong. Is it God's voice? Now, when we think about the conscience, sometimes we refer to it as the, you know, the still, small voice inside of our head that tells us what's right and wrong. It's that still, small voice that we choose to ignore all the time. In um, 1 Kings, it talks about the still, small voice as it is being God's voice inside of us. And so it's one way to look at it. I'm just posing the question. Is your conscience, is it God's voice directing you on what is right and what is wrong? Uh, I don't know if we figured that one out yet. We might not. But it, it, it possibly is. What we do know is that the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, it's different than our conscience. But that definitely tells us what is right, what is wrong, how we ought to be, and what we ought to change in our life. It brings in conviction, and it also brings in encouragement. So we have Pinocchio, who has, now he has the ability for a conscience to tell him what is right and what is wrong. And, and Jimmy the Cricket explains it this way. He says, okay, what is right often, often seems like it is wrong. And things that are wrong usually feel good and seem like they're right. And so I'm here to tell you what the difference is. And so... The next point in our thing, in our outline is, is that free will, this is where it gets really, it gets, it gets theological. There's other denominations that probably won't agree with me. Free will comes from a loving father. Geppetto did not want a puppet that he could pull his strings, that he can make him dance for him, he can make the puppet smile and make it love him. God doesn't want that either. It was Geppetto's desire to make a real boy that could love him back within his own free will. So God, in his goodness, cuts our strings. It is his desire for us to be free so that we can in turn, love him back, where we can choose to choose him or choose not to choose him. We can choose to love God with all of our heart or we could choose to turn our backs on him and break his heart. That's how much he loved us. And, and scripture is full of illustrations of this, of, of we being, as God making us free moral agents. And again, this is where it's gonna get sticky for other Christian lines of thought. If God did not give us free will to choose, free will to make decisions, free will to act, if everything is predestined and every, every action you did was dictated by God, then that makes God not loving. It makes him a monster that's created some horrible things. If he has dictated everything, that, every evil thing that you've done in your life, in addition to every evil thing that is done in the world, that makes God a monster. But he's not. 
He's a loving God. He loves us so much that he will give us free will and he will back off and let the world pay the consequences for their decisions. It's a tough one, very tough. All right, so free will is a big deal for a loving father. Uh, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. So God, again, God is active. He's at the door. He's knocking. Who opens the door? We open the door up. God is a gentleman. Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to come in unless we open the door, unless we let him in. He will not, when we choose him, he will not violate our free will. I'm going to contradict myself in a few seconds. He will not do that. He will, he will not force himself upon us. Okay, next point. Well, let's talk about Honest John. Okay, so Pinocchio, here's the, here's the amazing thing about Geppetto and his ability to let his kid go. You know another part of free will, especially parents, you've got kids, and you're like trying to control their life, and you have their life planned out, you know what college they're going to go to, and you know, you know what friends they're going to have. Okay, Geppetto immediately kicks Pinocchio out of the house and makes him go to school. Um, and he doesn't drive him to school. How many people used to have to walk to school? You know, <laughs> I had to walk to school, and I, my parents were like, it's down the street, make a right. And it was like, I was terrified. It seemed like I was walking all day long in the sun. It was, just, it was horrifying. But, so he kicks him out immediately with really no supervision. He's got the cricket, and that's about it. He says, here, give, give your teacher an apple. Just bribe your teacher. And that's, that, that's all he gets. And immediately, uh, Pinocchio is faced with temptation, right? The first encounter that he has with an individual outside of his father's house is Honest John and his Nimrod sidekick. So Honest John is not honest. He is, he is a liar and immediately notices, oh, a boy, a wooden boy without any strings. I can make some money on this. And so he begins to tempt Pinocchio with one very specific temptation, and that is of fame. He says, where are you going, little boy? So, oh, my father's sending me to school so I can discipline myself and get smart. And Honest John says, you don't need discipline in your life. There is an easier way. That's called becoming an actor. I'm sorry, Angela. I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> because you are a highly trained professional actor. Okay. <laughs> so there's an easier way you could become an actor. And so he tempts, he tempts Pinocchio with the first temptation, which is, which is fame. And he introduces him to not-so-nice Stromboli, which is this gypsy bad guy. And so he, you know, he enters into Stromboli's little play, marionette play thing. And he's a success. You know, he, he's a little silly. He sings and, you know, does the sing and dance thing. But, you know, does, you know rolls down the, the, the stairs and gets his nose stuck in a hole. But overall, he's a success. And people love him. And they're cheering for him. And he's, he's soaking it up. And he's completely blinded by this fame. And, and he doesn't, he can't hear Jiminy Cricket. He doesn't pay any attention to, his, to the conscience that's saying, these guys are bad guys. These guys are lying to you. You need to not listen to them. And Pinocchio is so successful, Jiminy Cricket says, wow, they love him. He's a success. 
maybe he doesn't need a conscience. And then he makes this statement, actually, actors don't need a conscience, so I'm out of here. <laughs> so actors and politicians and lawyers. Right? No, sorry. no, I'm just kidding. Um, so Jiminy leaves. He abandons his post. And Pinocchio wants to go home after his, his day of success. And then what happens? Stromboli turns very evil and wicked. Um, all, before he's all, I'm going to be your mentor. I'm, I'm all smiles. And I, we're going to have a great time. We're going to change the world. Follow me. And then it goes from that into manipulation. I've got you caged up. You can't go home. You're mine. And, and once you stop performing, you're going to become firewood. So a manipulation comes up, and he cages Pinocchio. He, he takes away Pinocchio's free will. He enslaves him. And it is at this point, remember I said I was going to contradict myself? Well, here it comes. It is at this point, Pinocchio and Jimmy the Cricket, they have lost all hope. He's, he's caged up. He can't get out. And then we have the second appearance of the blue fairy. And the blue fairy enters into the room and her, you know, the way that she does and her beautiful orb and she, she enters in and she says, Pinocchio, what are you doing in this cage? And this is where we see the, the iconic lying, right? Where the nose grows and, you know, he keeps on telling lie after lie. If you watch the movie, they're actually not that bad of a lie. It's what we would consider white lies. They're not hurting anybody. His lies are not hurting anybody at all. But it's like, make, makes you wonder, right? Makes you wonder where our morals have gone. And so he says, well, you know, monsters hijacked me, and this happened, and this happened. So he makes up all these lies. His nose gets bigger, and, you know, the, the blue fairy calls him on it and says, you know, honey, you're lying. You're lying. And you know what the interesting thing is about it? Who was he hanging out with? He was hanging out with Honest John. So he was hanging out with a liar, and then he began to pick up his habits, and he lied. Now, here's what the interesting thing is. This is, where, this is where I contradict myself. The fairy frees him. The fairy comes in and violates Pinocchio's free will, and she frees him. Do you know that God does that with us? How many have gotten ourselves into a really bad situation? We maybe thought it was wrong, but it felt oh so right. And the people that let us in, they were all big smiles. They were our new best friends. They were our mentors. But once we wanted to go home, once we wanted to have a little bit of the space of our own, that, that, that evilness came out of them. And God came in and saved you. You didn't deserve it. Your actions put you in that situation. You were even lying about it. You're lying to yourself. But God came in, violate your, violates your free will, and saved you and got you out of slavery. It's the, the, I've used this before. So my child, I have a seven-year-old child, and she bounces off the walls. She doesn't know how to walk from one room to the other. She's either skipping or running or bouncing or going from wall to wall. She just, she's an active child, and, and she doesn't pay attention to things, and she gets sidetracked, and she, she gets distracted. And if a, if a ball goes out into the street, she's not going to think. How many people have kids that don't think? She doesn't think sometimes. 
Love her to death. But sometimes, you know, she'll see that shiny thing and she'll chase it out into the street. And me as being a loving father, would I, just, would I let my child get run over by a car? No, I'm going to violate her free will. I'm going to grab her by the back of the neck and I'm going to drag her in <laughs> because she just doesn't know better, right? And see, now God does that with us. And this is what the blue fairy does with Pinocchio. It's like you got yourself into the situation and, and you're going to turn into firewood. I have got to violate your free will and pull you back in by the, the scruff and save you. But you know what she says? This is tough. She says, this is, this is the last time I do it. That's biblical. Oh, man, that sucks, doesn't it? That is biblical. God will only save your skin so many times. He's only going to rescue you so many times because he wants you to grow and he wants you to mature. He only does it so many times. You know, see, the thought is, is that, you know, God in all of his grace, he will, if, it's, this, what I'm going to say is that something that I don't agree with. I don't gr- agree in total depravity of man. I believe that we are made in God's image. I believe in Imago Day. And so, yeah, there were times when I was playing out in the street and God saved me. But at some point in your spiritual life, you will have enough common spiritual sense not to play in the street anymore. And if you do, and if you know better, you will get run over or you will pay the consequences and God will not intervene. That's the truth. That's the gospel truth. What's the next thing that happens in the story? Next thing that happens in the story All right. I'll get to that point. Next thing that happens in the story is Pinocchio doesn't learn his lesson. He, uh, he immediately is still under the influence of Honest John. And Honest John introduces him to the coachman. And the coachman, uh, along with a lot of other bad boys, how many people have ever hung out with bad boys? How many people were bad boys? He gets introduced to the coachman. And, and all of these bad boys, and this is where peer pressure really takes a strong effect. And they, they ship all of these fun-loving boys to Pleasure Island. Pleasure Island. I know. It, so they, they go to Pleasure Island. Everything is free. By the way, stuff at Disneyland is not free. But it, it, they go to Ple- Pleasure Island, and everything is free. There's Tobacco Row. You can get cigarettes, uh, uh, pipes, chewing tobacco, and cigars. You can get any type of, any form of tobacco that you want to smoke is down Pleasure Island, right? You can, kids, like six and seven-year-old boys can drink beer out of kegs and drink lots of it. And not only is there, is there there's, you know, tobacco and beer, but there's cakes and, and, and cookies, and it's just piled up. And so what is being presented to Pinocchio is this gluttony, is this, this is, is peer pressure and gluttony, and they are having the time of their life. I mean, they're, they're playing games, they're eating, they're smoking, they're drinking, they're, they're having the time of their life. And now we're going to watch the next clip, which is probably the most horrifying clip in all cinematic, cinematic history. Let's play the next one, Crystal. Finally there now, we have 
your fun now it's time to pay for it yeah stuff you don't want your kids to go through hmm. did you notice that the blue fairy didn't come to his rescue like this is like the worst of all possible situations where transformation he's transforming into an animal and the blue fairy doesn't save him see transformation is unavoidable and we are we're transforming we're either transforming into the likeness of Christ or we're transforming into something completely different. What do you think that might be? 
You know why that this is that that is so horrifying to me personally? Why it kept me up a lot when I was a little kid? It's because deep down inside, we know that we're not animals, and so whenever Hollywood or literature wants to horrify us, they'll 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 splice us with animals, right? You know, like The Fly or these other horror movies where, you know, it is terrifying because we know that, that we're not an animal. Even though we share 98% of uh, the same genes with chimpanzees, we, we know that we're not animals. And so we're constantly in transformation. You, you might be saying to yourself, why can't I just be free to be me? Well, you can, but you're not the same person you were 10 years ago. Even physically, you're not the same person. All of your cells have regenerated. Like physically, you're not the same person sitting in the chair that was sitting in the chair 10 years ago. You've transformed that much. And so that what, what this is communicating to us is that we are going to either transform into the likeness of Christ, we are going to become like the image of God, or we're going to transform into the world. We're going to transform into the people that we are hanging around. Now, it, do, you, do you agree with this? I mean, if you notice, if you can actually step outside of yourself and say, okay, I have chosen to hang out with bad boys and I'm beginning to act like them. I'm beginning to speak like them. I'm, I'm sounding like a jackass, right? You just you begin to, to, to take on their characteristics and things begin to grow on you. Here's the thing about Pinocchio. He was able to catch it in time. He was on Pleasure Island. Fairy doesn't save him. He takes a good hard look in the mirror. He realizes that he's got big long donkey ears and a tail. And so he runs. And and, and Jiminy's helping him. And he runs and he runs and runs as fast as he can. And he's on the edge of the cliff. And the only thing that's going to save him is if he just jumps. If he jumps away. So he doesn't completely transform into that donkey. Into that animal into evil, if you will, becomes a slave. Kind of saves himself. Kind of says, look, what I'm doing is leading to death and destruction. Uh, Proverbs says it this way. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Don't answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. And some of us that have escaped Pleasure Island, we still carry around the ears and the tail. And we might be carrying those for the rest of our lives. We made decisions and we have to pay the consequence for the decision. God still loves you. Even despite the mistake, he still loves you. But we still, for the rest of our lives, you might have ears. Or you might have that really bad tattoo. Or you might have that other thing that you don't want to talk about. You might have it for the rest of your life. Someday you'll be transformed into his likeness and it will be completely gone. But you might have to carry it for the rest of your life. And Pinocchio does. So transformation happens, whether you like it or not. You're either going to be transforming into something beautiful, you're going from glory to glory, or you're going to be transforming into something not so pretty and doesn't sound so good. All right. Okay, next major point is that faith 
Faith without works is dead. That's, that's a tough one to swallow. Because I believe that we are solely saved by the grace of God, right? It is that I don't know better. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the way to hell, and God reaches down and saves me. He saves me. So we are solely saved by grace. But what we, what we know, what is biblically true, is that we are saved by grace, yet when we understand the grace that has been expressed to us, it ought to be impossible for us to express it back, not to express it back. Now think about the blue fairy. What is the blue fairy in the beginning, what does she say to Pinocchio? In order for him to make Geppetto's wish come true and in order for him to transform transform into a real boy, what does she say to him? She says, it's completely up to you. If you are brave, if you are truthful and unselfish, you will accomplish the transformation. Okay, church, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with it? Let me hear you. Let me hear you. That's not how it works, is it? That's not how it works. As the story progresses, we're not quite sure how long Pinocchio is gone, but long enough for Geppetto to go out and look for him, right? We serve an active God. He's active. He's out looking for us. So Geppetto leaves the house with his cat and his fish, and he begins to, I know, and they begin to search for Pinocchio, his lost boy that he loves dearly. His desire, the desire of his heart, begins to search for him. And, you know, he ends up in the belly of a well. There's a, there's a biblical illustration there. A good man inside the belly of a well, right? Does that, make, does that sound familiar? So he begins to search. And Pinocchio is finally coming home. He is the prodigal son. He's finally coming home. And let's watch the next clip. Hey, 
But this monstro, I've heard of him. He's a whale of a whale. Why, he swallows whole ships alive. Tied good and tight now. And besides, it's dangerous. Why, I... Bye, Jiminy. Goodbye. I may be live bait down there, but I'm with you. Come on. Let's go. Look out below! So, the blue fairy doesn't intervene, but she does show up in the form of a dove delivering a divine prophetic message. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's interesting, huh? So, she brings this message. Now, the blue fairy says, you're going to get saved if you're, if you're a good boy, if you're brave, if you're truthful, and if you're unselfish. But the clip that we saw was actually the turning point for Pinocchio. This is, this is where he actually transforms. Because none of those things happen when he gets saved. He, from this point, he goes from being this adorable, cute, little, naive, innocent boy, right? I mean, this is about the naivest thing you could possibly find on the face of the earth. He goes from that to becoming a real boy where he's all of a sudden comes to the realization that his connection with his loving father has been severed. His motivation is not to accomplish those three tasks. His motivation is to instantly to reconnect with his father. Love is what drives Pinocchio. He doesn't think. He doesn't, he doesn't come up with a plan. He, he realizes the situation, and he immediately gets up and says, I'm going to go find my dad. That's an act of love. And then he, you know, and then he takes another leap, another giant leap of faith, where he ties a rock to his tail and jumps off, personally jumps off the cliff into the water, looking for his father. Those are all very specific action items that are attached to faith. Faith without works is dead. And faith is generated by this relationship, this desire to be with his father. Now he begins to, he begins to face the worst of all of the evil elements all combined into one, which is Monstros the whale. Monstros, he takes on the very characteristics of, of uh, you know, Stromboli and, 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 the, and the coachman all together in one. He is, he's the satanic force just all compiled in. And not, we, see, we see Pinocchio acting brave. He's actually doing what his father did. His father went out to look for him. Pinocchio is, is becoming brave and he's looking for his father because he believes. Pinocchio goes from being like the stupid little wooden head to begin to think, okay, we can, we can get out of this situation if we make the whale sneeze. So he begins to think creatively. 
And then the whole end of it is that he dies. They get out of the whale, and, and Geppetto is sinking down to his death, and Geppetto says, Pinocchio, just save yourself. And Pinocchio violates the will of his father and saves his father. And he dies. They go home. There's Pinocchio with his ears and his tail. He's laying down dead. A little point, in the, I gotta go backtrack just for a second. When, when they're reunited, when Pinocchio are, and, and Geppetto are reunited inside the belly of the whale, uh, Geppetto can't help but to notice the big giant ears and tail. Like, what, what happened with you? And you know what Pinocchio doesn't do? He doesn't lie about it. He's like, well, you know, did some naughty things. And Geppetto embraces him despite what he looks like. You know that your God does that? You know, if you return from Pleasure Island with ears and a tail and that really bad tattoo, he's going to embrace you. He's going to embrace you back. He doesn't care what's on your body. He's going to love you unconditionally. That's a loving father. So anyway, back to, so, so Pinocchio, he's, he's back home, he's dead, and, and the blue fairy comes in, and she, said, what, she repeats what she, what she said at the very beginning. She, she resurrects Pinocchio, right? It's awesome. He's not as cute resurrected as he was as a wooden boy, but she resurrects Pinocchio, and he says, because you have been, you have been brave, faithful, are brave, truthful, and, and unselfish. This is why you've come back to life. Now, Pinsky, the author of, the, author of this book, I actually disagree with, with his perspective on this. Because he says, all right, so this is, where, this is where the story deviates from the Christian truth, that we are solely saved by grace. Pinocchio saves himself by works. So therefore, it doesn't line up with, with the Bible. It doesn't line up with, with the scripture. This is where, what Pinsky says. I disagree with him. I disagree with him. Because what motivated Pinocchio? What motivated him was love. Okay, so if anybody's wrong, it's the blue fairy, right? <laughs> so, what motivated him was love. Now, at the beginning of the movie, you all know the song, If you wish upon a star... Makes no difference who you are. What's the rest of it? Anything your heart desires will come to you. All right. Do we have time? You guys want to sing the rest? Okay, let's do it. All right, Crystal. Crystal. Okay, I want you to pay attention to the lyrics because I, I think that this is intentional. Crystal, go ahead and play the lyrics. Yes, we all have a place in the circle of life. Doesn't matter who you are. We share the same world and live under the same stars up there in the sky. We've all got dreams, and when we share those dreams with others, we join in the circle of life. You can sing along if you'd like. Makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires. Will come to you. If your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme. When 
What was added that was not in the beginning of the movie was when your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme. Jesus says, whatever you desire in my name, I will give you. Isn't that amazing? Let's look at the scripture in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. This is your last fill-in. Salvation comes by grace through faith. If you want to add this, and faith without works is dead. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that one can boast. And in Corinthians 3, 1, and we all who with unveiled faces complete the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See, fate is kind, and it, this is the the song we read, so just sung, fate is kind, and it gives to those who love. These these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And, And Pinocchio knew it. Pinocchio knew it. You know what came out of him when he tapped into, okay, I really love my creator. I really love my father. You know what happened? He, he expressed bravery. You know what happened? He didn't lie when he had a chance to. You know what happened? He acted unselfishly and he saved his dad from drowning. Those things didn't grant, grant him salvation. It was the love through grace and faith that did it. Might be forcing the text a little bit, but just go with me. All right. The moral, every, every, every Disney story has a moral uh, story to it. The moral of this one is bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good character. So that's what's being communicated. The spiritual lesson is when, you're, when your dream is in your heart, when you are motivated by love, the no request is too extreme. He will give you everything that you ask for if your heart is right. Can I have the band and the ushers come to the front? <laughs> oh, I like, I'm glad you liked it. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a loving heavenly father and that there is no evil in you. That, you. that we are your desire. That you desire us more than we desire you. And you will do anything to get us. You search dil- diligently. You're sweeping the floor for us. You're, you're transversing the world. You're, you're going into the belly of a well. You even went into hell to get us. So God, we thank you so much for that. God, I pray that... Uh, 
as we begin to, to, to grow, that we'll be able to avoid temptations, we'll avoid the sins of the flesh, whether it be vanity or fame or gluttony or overindulgence or pleasure island or whatever that may be, God. And those of us that have escaped the island with, with some ugly scars, God, I pray that that won't hinder us from accomplishing what you called us to do or making us feel guilty or beat up. And I pray that you would just breathe new life into those that are dealing with past, past sins. And God, I pray right now that you will give us freedom for every person that feels like they have to work to get God's approval, that they have to work to, to, to make sure that God likes us and that he's happy with us. And I just pray that we will understand that, God, once we tap into your love, that will be our motivation, our motivation to do amazing things in your kingdom, God. Pray that you just bless this offering in your name. Amen.